we are going to be uncovering some untold riches. Let's do this. So we are back. Episode eight of Untold Riches. Eight. Uh, uh, it is. It's episode I eight. It. I know. I know. Uh, so we're here with a really exciting guest. Uh, he's going to be talking about uh, a really cool project that Richard was a part of. I'm not going to spoil it, but they'll have a bit to talk about a little bit later. He's a colleague of ours, a good friend, and we're very, very excited to uh, to introduce him on the podcast. Richard, you want to uh, talk him up a little bit more and I'll bring him on? Yeah, yeah. You know, one of the things is uh, some people might say that I'm a pretty incredibly talented person. Um, and and the gentleman today that's going to be joining us is one of the people that's recognized that talent. Yeah. And he asked me to be a part of a project that I got to be honest, it, it might be the cult, it might be the pinnacle of of the things that I've accomplished in my life life. And it'll be the legacy that I leave for generations to come. So I'm pretty pumped because this gentleman made it happen. And I'm super excited to learn a little bit more about him, uh, his story, his his, uh, his life journey, but also the stories that he has to tell us. Uh, and he is share he's telling a story in a very unique way. And I don't want to ruin spoil the fun. You guys will just have to stay tuned. But he's going to be joining us. His name is David Rotan. I've had the privilege of working with him professionally for several years now, and I absolutely love him. He's one of the people that has set some pretty ambitious goals over the years in all areas of his life. And he's just been hitting home runs the last few years. And I am just so uh, privileged to work with him professionally, but having gotten to know him a little bit more on the personal front, he's a great guy. I'm super excited to have him. And of course, we're talking about David Rotan. So let's bring him on. Let's bring him on. All let's right. get him in here because you're tired of listening to us. Let's listen to him. I literally could not wait to bring him on because as you were talking, I could see his camera feed. You couldn't, and he was laughing in Richard's face. <laughs> oh, boy, that was a build-up, Richard. I appreciate that. I, hey, I've, got, I've got a reputation for being a bit of a hype man, uh, but it is, it's all true. It's all true. Yeah, yeah. Now I'm nervous about the uh, outcome of the production. You know, it's got to be like Citizen Kane. Or something. Citizen Kane. Well, tell us more. What is it? I mean, we've been we've been uh, kind oh, of burying yeah. the lead here. Tell us what's been exciting and and, and big in your life. So uh, I am producing a uh, monster movie, a creature feature, <laughs> and uh, awesome. it's called Blood Spawn, and it's based on an actual Cherokee uh, mythology, a creature from uh, Cherokee origins that's uh, out there. And uh, yeah, it, it's uh, it's a fun. It's this is a not just something made in the backyard with friends like I used to do when I was a kid, but it's uh, it's a real legit feature film that will be distributed. Uh, we're, we will be once we're completed, it will be uh, shopped around and marketed and uh, distributed on streaming services. You know, that so, is so uh, crazy. Feature film, and there is a. Uh, Speaking part, mind you, by Richard Bridges, Esquire, and uh, <laughs> yeah, and uh, he gets a really cool dramatic uh, death scene. Uh, spoiler yeah. alert: he does get eaten by the monster. Oh, sweet! Yeah. I love it. I love it. We've 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 shared the secret. It's not really a secret because I've told everybody that I know. Uh, <laughs> I was saying before we started, my family is beyond over hearing about this movie that I've been killed in. Brutally <laughs> murdered in, uh, and I think you guys wrote the part special for me. And I got to be honest, I, I got to ask the question: When did you go? You know what? I'm going to kill Richard in this movie. Like, at what point? <laughs> that's a thing that I think I'm I'm going to make happen. Well, just so you know, we weren't intentionally like Richard Bridges. He's got to die in this movie. No, we had it written. We had the script, and there was a part that I thought you would be great at. 
Yeah. It's one where he was brutally murdered. I <laughs> love it. I'm his friend and business partner, and I can't wait to see it. Yes. He, uh, yeah, it's uh, really gruesome. He gets it through the chest, a big claw from a gigantic monster, and uh, yeah. And that's just half of it. I'm not going to tell what I'm happens to Richard once he gets up into the air, by lifted off into the air by the monster. There's more to it. I'll just say it was very fun to shoot. And that was the thing for me. I have never been a part of anything like this, like ever. You know, you you see movies. I think most people don't have like really the behind the scenes, the amount of work that goes into these things. And that was the most eye-opening for me, right? Like I had – you were there. You guys shot over like 10 10 days or 12 days, something like that. But then you had a couple like reshoots. So this was was all done over like two weeks, right? You shot the whole thing. It was a nine-day shoot and then two uh, pickup days. And then just recently in the month of April, we had uh, five, six, seven more days of uh, shooting just specifically the monster special effects shots with the uh, high-end puppets for the monster. So, yeah. Puppets? There's yeah. like really monster puppets. Miniatures, yeah. Uh, yeah. I love it. I love like it so much. Like Star Wars, those type of puppets. How cool yeah. is that? Yeah, when you say puppets, people automatically think Miss Piggy, Kermit the Frog. It's not that kind of puppets. We're so I don't think that. Now. I love movies. That sounds amazing. I know exactly what you're talking about. That's that's awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like so, uh, local folks or somebody in the country. Like, how did you get a puppet? Like, what's the story? No, the, uh, we actually went with an artist uh, in Mexico. Um mm-hmm who is, uh, he was referred to us by a stop motion puppet artist who was way out of our budget. (laughs) This guy does like special effects, stop motion um, commercials and things for uh, Mattel that makes the He-Man action figures and Mm -hmm. stuff like that. They're they're making retro figures from the 80s. And he's done some commercials with like He-Man fighting Skeletor and stuff. And uh, they paid him hundreds of thousands of dollars to do these commercials. So we tried to get him at first and he was, you know, it was literally going to be budget, uh, double the budget of our film. So out of the question, but he said, Hey, there's this really up and coming talented um, model maker, puppet maker in in Mexico. And he he gave us a referral. Um, And uh, so we talked to him and he made these uh, high end puppets and had them shipped up here. And yeah, we shot it against a green screen, and and it's going to be uh, laid into the movie, and uh, yeah, it's it's going to be really cool because, you know, originally it was all going to be just uh, our our plan was just to be CGI, just right. like your typical monster movie that you would expect to see on the Sci-Fi Channel, for example. That was our goal: is just to make a Sci-Fi Channel worthy monster movie here. And as things evolved and we shot the movie and got it in the can, uh, we said, you know what? We've got something special here. We can take it, take it a step further. It might take a little bit longer than we wanted. And we had to convey that to our investors and Mm -hmm. keep them up to date and let them know what's going on. But, um, yeah, in the long run, it's going to be a much better quality film. We're we're leaning into kind of instead of CGI heavy and all these you know, um, mo- CGI monster is just computer kind of like the level of Sharknado. Right. You know, that was our original intent, but you know, with the puppets, we have more control over it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not it's not going to take any longer necessarily. Just the planning and everything was, but. 
it's going to look so much better. It's it's really kind of we're leaning into a retro feel. This is yeah. a movie similar to what a movie that you would expect to see from the '80s or early '90s. You know, before yeah. CGI broke out. You know, and everything was CGI. So it's got a real retro feel. It's kind of a grindhouse feel to it. Mm -hmm. um, and we decided to lean into that a bit. So with the effects, more practical effects instead of just all CGI. And um, the, uh, the look of the film, even the music is going to be a little bit more synthesizer, kind of 80s feel to it. Yeah. So we're That's excited. It's, it's really stylized more than we ever expected. And, and I think it's going to be, we found our niche. And uh, yeah, I think we're excited for the uh, possibilities for the release. Yeah, physical models got to be superior in terms of production. Like I'm, I just started. Uh, I have an infant, and I've been doing a lot of rewatches because you can't watch anything new with an infant. Yeah. Um, so I started rewatching Falling Skies from like the ten, like 2010, 2011 from TNT, and it just it struck a, a chord with me because they yeah. have TV CGI effects from fifteen years ago, which look legitimately good, but then they have these creatures that you can tell are physical models that are lit and stay mm -hmm. can yes. move, and you can spray them with goo or whatever, and it's like. It's night and day, the difference between like a decent yeah. CGI spaceship and like a terrifying monster that looks real in the room. Yeah. Like it's, yeah. I, it's, I can't wait to see it. But I gotta yeah. say, so you mentioned Richard's role. And before we get too far away from that, I was telling Richard before we hopped on, um, he's been talking about this for, I don't know, like a year and a half, two years, <laughs> I have no idea, forever. It feels like since we met, he's been talking about yeah. it as a movie. It was, I'm gonna be in a movie, gotta meet my friend David, he's making a movie, I'm being in it. I, so anyway, I have you guys have seen Pee Wee Herman, right? Pee Wee's Big Adventure from back in the day. Oh yeah, oh okay. yeah. I have been picturing Richard in a bellhop outfit at a <laughs> Pee Wee Herman at the end of that movie. <laughs> the entire Richard time. Herman. Yeah. <laughs> I know the exact scene you're referring. Exactly. Now, uh, so I've got to say, Richard is like a method actor. He's the next Daniel Day Lewis. Uh, he yeah. grew out his beard. Some of that was due to the pandemic. He said, I'm not going to cut my hair. I mean, I mean, I thought, you know what, if I hadn't had a movie role coming uh -huh. up, then I probably, I probably uh, wouldn't have given it 110%. I was <laughs> repulsive to my wife. So I was committed, committed to this, this, this character for sure. He was shaggy. He was definitely shaggy. And, uh, and that's good. The movie takes place in the 1830s, steering the Trail okay. of Tears. So, you know, the soldiers didn't have razors very handy. So, mm -hmm. yeah, he, he was definitely a method actor in that respect. Oh, but, my God. I love it so much. Okay. He didn't okay. stink, though. He didn't smell on the set. I didn't notice it. Of course, no, we no, no, I, I, I didn't wash my hair for a few days. I wanted to have, like, the greasy <laughs> effect, but I washed my body. And uh, he wasn't and that method. <laughs> no, it wasn't, it wasn't that mess. I brushed my teeth that day. You know? Yeah, yeah. I feel like Richard usually smells great. Be <laughs> yeah. I think there's a lot to be said for smelling good. Like, I think everybody knows those people who don't. Like, if I say right now, who do you know that doesn't smell good? You oh, just yeah. have somebody come into your brain. I already, I already know. Like, I got <laughs> that's, that's, that's the taste, right. You get the taste in your mouth of like the the, the man or woman yeah. smell. Yeah, or, yeah. Like you're like, oh my god, I oh I don't want to smell anymore. But you breathe through your mouth, and it's in your mouth. You can taste like no. <laughs> we gotta we gotta avoid that. But let's do this before we go forward. Let's go yes. backward a bit. David, okay. tell us about you. What you know, where you grew up. Obviously. Would love to hear a little bit more about how you got into filmmaking. Just tell us a little bit about your life journey. Take five, ten minutes, because kind of fill us in, and then we'll see where that takes us. Okay. All right. Well, let's see. I grew up in western North Carolina, 
um, all my life. I was born there, kind of close to Asheville. Um, I don't know if you've they they run like tourist advertisements on TV all the yeah. time for Asheville. It's a nice little enclave, uh, little city, um, an oasis, um, right in Western North Carolina, in the middle of the mountains, very scenic, and 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 I was kind of right at the foothills of Asheville in between Charlotte and Asheville. So the, the Piedmont foothills of North Carolina and a small town uh, grew up there. And uh, my brothers and I, I have two older brothers and we've been making movies literally since I was five years old. Well, this was before, this was like 1980, 1981, before yeah. even video was a thing. So we were in the woods with silent eight millimeter motion picture cameras. They came okay. in a little cartridge. You got it at a drugstore. This makes me feel so old when I'm talking about this pre-video. Oh, yeah. yeah. And, um, you know, you put the cartridge in the camera, no sound. So it was three minutes. You had 50 feet of eight millimeter motion picture film. And in that three minutes, we made these adventures with our, uh, with our friends, neighborhood friends, we hey, come over this weekend on Saturday. We're going to shoot a movie in the woods. Right. So we would run around in the, um, the, there was some vacant property. Now that I'm a realtor, I realized my parents were letting us kids just run around on somebody's private property in the woods, vacant right. lots and streams uh, and rivers. I mean, I can't imagine the liability as a parent now. Like It was a like, different time, though. It was God, a different time. I had a friend break, uh, jump off a big uh, sewage pipe that ran through that uh, property, the woods, and uh, break his arm. And I'm like, <laughs> nobody thought anything of it. No one's going to contact the property owner and say, <laughs> it was just a different time period. But right. now I'm like, oh, my gosh, we could have sued them. And it was crazy. And, and anyway, we would run around in this vacant private property and shoot movies in the woods. And it was usually like, you know, unoriginal stuff like Raiders of the Lost Ark came out and we did, you know, um, uh, rip off movies of that where we're um, the staff of Tut, where we're looking at, we're searching after the, a staff that uh, King Tut had, you know, something like that. And it, it's a stick wrapped in tinfoil. Yeah, <laughs> it was funny stuff, but it was all silent. So we did like the silent era movies. We would say and we would have a title card that had what we said, you know, the sentence written out. Oh, yeah. We'd hold it up to the camera for a few seconds, <laughs> you know, cut. And uh, very little editing. But my yeah. brothers discovered um, that you could actually take the film when you got it back from the drugstore. It usually took like five days to process, and then they would deliver it back to you. And you'd go pick it up and have a premiere, you know, on a white sheet in the living room. We'd invite the kids over, the neighborhood friends over, and watch our movies on a bed sheet projected with our eight millimeter projector. And um, they discovered, you know, special effects, uh, laser guns. They would actually hold the uh, tiny little film strip up to a light in the bathroom and find where they were shooting the gun and take a little pin, a needle, and scratch the emulsion off of, yeah. you know, scratch a line from the gun barrel to whoever they were shooting and like scratch. It was a scratch. That's all it yeah. was. And the light would come through and yeah. Yeah. So remember uh, film, you know, physical emulsion based 
film is a plastic strip right. and um, normal film, like big budget movies, it's 24 frames per second. Uh, eight millimeter film back then was 18 frames per second. So for every one second, there, my brothers are using a little needle and holding it up to the light and scratching 18 frames. You know, they have to make that laser on 18 frames for, per second. So, you know, time consuming stuff, crazy hobbies as a kid. But anyway, when I got a little older, that was when my brothers were in charge. When I got a little older, um, I was pretty industrious as a, as a kid. I, my brothers had a paper route. They walked a paper route, delivered newspapers. And uh, the same paper route, I guess, was handed down. My brother, oldest brother, John, who's uh, six years older than me, uh, he got tired of it, of uh, doing it when he got into, you know, 15 years old or so. Yeah. So he, he passed, yeah, he passed it on to my brother, Aaron, who's 18 months younger than him. And, um, and then when I got up there, I believe back then the legal age to work and have a job, um, and in North Carolina at least, you you could be 11 years old and have a job as a paper boy. Only certain jobs, old-fashioned right. jobs like paper boy. So yeah. um, I took it over from Aaron and uh, saved up all of my money, and when I was 12 years old, and uh, for about a year, and uh, I. Um, I bought a video camera. So that was when we made the transition from silent era motion picture film to video, a super VHS, not just a VHS camera, a super VHS from Curtis Mathis. So if you remember that old brand. It, Those things were big, right? Like the video yeah. camera was pretty yeah, big today. thing. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So then my older brothers are like, they, they never referred to it as David's camera, though. They referred to it as the camera. Right. So, all right, we're going to use the camera and go shoot our movie, and uh, you can come along if you want, David. I was like, no, this is my camera. I'm the executive <laughs> producer of this film. He's 12-year-old. Anyway, no, they, they made a lot of cool stuff, and I did, too. It just, um, you know, and I took it a step further. Um, you know, I walked a paper out and paid for that camera, and I was 12 years old and um, started shooting weddings for people um, in our church growing up. And uh, I believe I would, you know, get $100 for shooting a wedding and uh, more if I shot the reception after the wedding. Yeah. So here's a little 12-year-old, you know, running around with a video camera on his shoulder and a tripod and I actually invested and bought a light for the receptions where they're dark, you know, and had a big bright light blinding people and walking around at their wedding reception. And, um, you know, a hundred, hundred dollars, $150 to a 12 year old. That's, that's your that's rich. a lot of money. <laughs> rich yeah. of news of avarice. Now, yeah, what I, um, <laughs> to me is when switching from film to, to video, I mean, you mentioned special effects. I have yeah. a layman's understanding, but like film special effects are fairly cut and dry. Did you do any stuff like that? Was it mostly in editing or, yeah, noticed? yeah. Um, so back then, um, you really couldn't, I mean, you couldn't do the scratching thing, of course. Um, but the camera was really cool. It had these cheap, cheesy now, looking back at it, these uh, transitions like wipes and fades and dissolves and effects on it. So we, we did more of that. But yeah, definitely no laser scratches. 
And, and the video editing back then it was very crude. There was no like digital capturing to your computer. There were no computers. So right. it was all like two VCRs, deck to deck, excuse me. Um, the camera and uh, a VHS deck, a player. And uh, it had what was called flying erase heads. So um, whenever you pause it in record mode, if you paused it and, and then took it off pause to start recording what you wanted to make the cut or the best take from playing off of the deck, you wouldn't get those wavy VHS lines through it. It would just be a clean cut. So that was a big advancement in technology to us. <laughs> but yeah, we had more control in that we could edit it and it had sound. Um, so yeah, we could shoot multiple takes and then find the best take and then only use that take mm -hmm. crudely transferring it over to our recording, you know, the camcorder that was on record pause. So that was a, a big advancement, but we could not do the cool practical effects or scratching in lasers anymore. Right. Yeah. <laughs> That's okay. Yeah. Yeah, no, it reminds me a lot of the Raimi brothers and Bruce Campbell. I read Bruce Campbell's biography and they talked about a similar journey. It just, it harkened back to oh, me. Yeah. Like in the woods making, you know, Evil Dead. It's yep. and for you going to go into creature features feels like a, kind of a fun parody, not parody, parody. Yeah. Journey. Yeah, yeah. Well, that was, uh, you know, Sam Raimi. They shot Evil Dead in North Carolina. So, oh, okay. Uh, yeah. so it's in your blood. Uh, yeah, yeah. We, uh, it, the North Carolina film community is, um, still small, still very small, and a lot of people know each other. And uh, especially when I got older. Um, so yeah, I, I uh, did the paper out all through high school and shot weddings, and I was a wedding videographer uh, all through high school until I went off to college. And I went to UNC Chapel Hill for two years for general college. But right when I started, they stopped their... Um, radio, television, and motion picture, RTVMP major, um, mm. which, which was a, a bummer, you know. And But at the same time, UNC started the uh, North Carolina School of the Arts Film School. Mm. And um, so I was still in high school when they started that. I was a junior. My older brother, John, decided to go there. And he mm. went there to film school. <clears throat> and then I joined him three years later. So he was a senior and I was a freshman and we were both attending the North Carolina school of the art school of filmmaking. Um, so that was, that was, uh, I transferred from Chapel Hill to go to that school after two years. So I did my general studies at Chapel Hill and then went to film school and let's start making it real and, and professional. And, uh, so that was a really good experience. Um, I made a, um, a partner, it, you know, the way it is, is you go through uh, four years and their fourth year, you have to pitch your um, um, final thesis project to the school. And at the time, I don't know if this has changed, but uh, NC School of the Arts Film School was the only public film school in the nation that publicly funded your, your uh, thesis film, your student film, uh, graduating film. You know, if you go to Tisch School of the Arts or UCLA or USC, all of those film schools, it's kind of unfair. I don't know if this has changed, but at the time, only the rich kids that could raise a lot of money from parents or family were allowed to uh, 
produce a movie um, for their thesis project. Everyone else just had to maybe work on their on the movies that were happening. But it was a just like the real world, I guess that that's true. Um, in the real world, when you're trying to produce a movie, you're on your own. But it's a little unfair for students trying to learn. So um, North Carolina School of the Arts they funded the student films and they selected maybe I think in my class they selected six or eight films and they're 20 minute films back then they were still shot on film 16 millimeter sound and <laughs> the film and it's a lot more professional than how we used to do it but um yeah we would uh it took the whole senior year basically and then in may the graduating like before graduation they had the release of the uh, thesis senior thesis projects um mine was um based on a uh a short story, a children's story called Flowers and Freckle Cream. And uh, it had won some awards on the uh, film festival, uh, I mean, on the uh, storytelling circuit. And it's been, it's a published short story, children's short story about a little girl, she's 12 years old, and it took place in the 1940s, right after or during World War II. And she hates her freckles. She's very freckle based and she tries all kinds of remedies and creams and stuff and her grandfather wise old grandfather helps her accept her true beauty and her inner self and that's what counts so the really heartfelt touching story and you know uh that was a period piece so it was ambitious for a student film it was 1940s we got some old cars and we had uh um you know, uh, a farmhouse, and we built the interior of the farmhouse on the soundstage at the film school, which at the time was the biggest set that had ever been constructed there. And uh, it turned out really well. And um, I, I graduated with a dual concentration in editing and uh, directing. Um, and I did that intentionally because editing, to be a good director, you learn so much about being. Uh, from being an editor, you learn how to piece together a, a film as a director. And uh, Robert Wise, the um, the very famous uh, Hollywood director who's directed um, every genre, he directed um, West Side Story, the original West Side Story. He's directed uh, The Day the Earth Stood Still, the science fiction. He's He directed the very first Star Trek movie um, in 1981. And... Uh, he started as an editor. He edited Citizen Kane, the you know that's considered yeah. one of the by critics everywhere as one of the greatest movies ever made. He edited Citizen Kane, and um, he came to visit our our film school when I was a second year student, and uh, I'm here editing my um, second year film. It's not as a big of a deal, but. The door opens up and in walks my film professors and Robert Wise. You know, he's in his 80s. He was very old. And uh, the editor of Citizen Kane, and um, my professor says, Hey, David, uh, just showing Mr. Wise around the school here. Would you mind if you showed him a little bit of your film? <laughs> it's just like, oh, wow. we're not worthy. Yeah. We're not. <laughs> yeah, I, I took oh, off my headphones and I handed it over to Robert Wise, the director. <laughs> you know, he directed Sound of Music, too. This is the director of The Sound of Music, West Side Story, the first Star Trek movie ever, the you know, <laughs> and the editor of Citizen Kane. And he watched like two minutes of my film and said, good job. You're doing a good job there. And I was like, 
oh, the beam of light comes down. Real, that must uh, so yeah, that convinced me to go into editing to be a better director. And, yeah, um, that was a, a really amazing high point. So um, after film school, the uh, the film, the student film, toured on the festival circuit longer than any other film from that film school um, ever. It was like on on the festival circuit for two years, I believe. And uh, one of the few uh, films that, because of the winnings from the um, the winnings from the festivals, it actually um, paid for itself, which I think is extremely rare for a student film. So most of that money had to go back to the school. But, right. but yeah, it was just a cool little feather in the hat. It won the uh, uh, the Angelus Award, which was sponsored by the DGA, the Directors Guild of America and Lucasfilm Limited, George Lucas's company. I got to fly out to uh, LA and go to the DGA headquarters and accept that award. And um, yeah, so that was that was a big thing for me. And um, then I was like, you know, all of my friends from film school, they either, um, that most of them, the majority of them went out to LA or New York and they were a minnow in an ocean and they had to work their way up and some hit it big and others are still to this day just like you know smaller jobs on the scale in in hollywood and and uh i decided to stay um east coast and be a big fish in a little mud puddle so i uh i uh was um working at a front desk at a hotel at a courtyard marriott and i did that for like two years and then one day um this this uh film crew was staying at the hotel and uh, and uh they were making some low budget movie in the area in hickory north carolina and uh i started talking to the uh, executive producer and showed him flowers and freckle cream and and i don't know if he watched it or not but anyway he, he wanted to give me a chance so i helped them out on that movie and then uh, a few months later, uh, in 2004, uh, I actually quit the hotel job to go help him uh, be a production manager on um, another film of his. And uh, they were cranking out um, really low-budget stuff, but uh, straight to video. Uh, he had a sweetheart deal um, with Walmart, and so they would make rip-off movies basically so harry potter or in legend of uh, um you know lord of the rings were big back then 2003 2004 they made um max the magician and the legend of the rings and uh, uh young van helsing or van helsing came out back in 2004 they made the adventures of young van helsing and i was the production manager on that for them <sighs> I could go on and on and on. I'm not going to do that, but it was an experience. It was a very yeah. interesting experience. Uh, it got my foot in the door. So yeah. um, after serving my time, uh, I was allowed to pitch um, some other ideas for other movies. And I got to say, mine were the most original, it, it, but still tied in to a bigger uh, movie. You know, Pirates of the Caribbean was just coming out. So we did, uh, I pitched him uh, Pirate Kids and it's modern day, you know, just the pirate relevancy. I think there was a survey back then in 2004 that said like pirate costumes were just the number one Halloween costume for 
multiple years in a row. So we pitched the Pirate Kids idea. My brother Aaron actually kind of wrote the script. And my brother John, he's he went on to AFI to get his master's in cinematography. So he was the cinematographer on all of my movies until this most recent one. Um, but so, yeah, it was a, a brother a brother thing, you know. Um, Aaron would help out in the writing on some of these, and uh, John always shot the movies as a cinematographer, and I would be the uh, director, producer, and end up editing all except for uh, one one movie. Um, and um, so yeah, we made two pirate kid movies. We did kind of a cheesy, um, uh, a, a tongue in cheek uh, horror movie called Nightmare at the Fear Factory. And uh, <clears throat> even though we tried to tie in, I didn't want to do mockbuster movies like, you know, rip-off movies. But we did try to tie in with the titles, at least, the pirate or the themes. Uh, Nightmare at the Fear Factory. Fear Factor was one of the biggest shows back then. Yep. And this was all like 2004, 2005, 2006, and seven. So the last film I did for this company was in uh, <clears throat> 2007. And it was uh, Lost Stallions, The Journey Home. And um, it's interesting, this movie where I first met this uh, guy, the executive producer um, working at the hotel, was Lost Stallions. And um, his son was in it. And, it, you know, it was low, low budget. It was basically kind of like um, a Stand By Me, kids walking around in the woods looking for a lost horse and... and trouble ensues and everything. I, I don't remember much about it. I didn't direct it or anything. Um, but anyway, he wanted to, they, they talked about doing a sequel and then they said, well, let's just do a, in the vein of, you know, it, it has nothing to do with the first one, but they still called it Lost Stallions. And then we tagged on the journey home. So it's like in this universe, <laughs> but that's, that's a big buzzword now with a Marvel universe. Yeah, yep. So it had nothing to do with the first film, but it was called Lost Science, The Journey Home. And this was the biggest film we ever did. And at this point, the market for movies like this was completely changing. It used to be with the earlier movies, straight to DVD mm -hmm. uh, at Walmart, $5 bin at Walmart. And they would gladly accept um, you know, movies like that. You didn't have to have name actors or anything. What they would literally do is make money before the movie was even made with their sweetheart deal with Walmart. Mm -hmm. They would make a beautiful box cover poster artwork. You know, the Max Magician movie I told you about, they they actually had a stock images and a kid, probably a different kid that didn't even appear in you know, a stock <laughs> image of any kid opening a book. They'd have light blasting out of the pages of like, wow, like Harry Potter magic. Yeah. They have an elf here and, a, you know, an, an ogre in the background here, a sorcerer and uh, a ring, you know, and they would make this beautiful box cover, Photoshop box cover and, and go to the Walmart meetings, uh, get a meeting set with the buyers that whoever bought and determined what goes in that $5 bin at Walmart Right in Bentonville, Arkansas, they would go to the headquarters pass this artwork around the table and say, hey, it's tying into the popularity of Harry Potter and Lord of the Rings. It's called Max Magician and the Legend of the Rings. Uh, this is what it's going to be like. <clears throat> Mind you, they had not even written the script. <laughs> and uh, the Walmart execs, excuse me, <clears throat> excuse me. I'm sorry. The wall, yeah, the Walmart execs would say, oh, that looks great. Put us down for 500,000 units. 
and boom, you do the math, they're paying just a dollar for yeah. a DVD, you know, per DVD. Then they would take their, you know, there's $500,000, and they would take, they would, okay, we got to write a script. <laughs> they would go and uh, write a script real quick and make the movie for probably no more than 150. See, now that's the most magical part of this whole story, yeah. not even the movie. Yeah. Is their ability to go in and pitch something that doesn't exist, get money, and just do it for a fraction of the cost? That's yeah, yeah. So, really, really interesting business. But my luck, I get in the business right when that's becoming like hard to do. Mm -hmm. So the last movie I did with this company um, was uh, uh, Lost Stallions: The Journey Home, and um, things were changing. That was when Hulu and uh, Amazon and Netflix. We're just transitioning over to streaming. That's when yeah. streaming started in 2008. So um, I told um, the executive producer that, you know, to really have any chance, we've got to get a name actor in this movie um, because it's not like it used to be. You've got to have a name actor. So we, uh, we did the old Hollywood thing on a much smaller scale where you get an old uh, aging actor who's, uh, you know, in the twilight of their career and put them in the movie and, and promote them. And, and that's how we, we got it, the deal. And uh, we got Mickey Rooney. Uh, he was 87 oh, wow. years old at the time. And um, it was one of his last uh, starring roles. Um, he'd been doing like bit parts. He was in the Muppet movie. And mm -hmm. that was later, actually, after our movie, he had just been in night at the museum. Mm -hmm. uh, that had just come out. So he had that part in there as one of the uh, old security guards at the museum. And um, he, you know, apart from that, he really hadn't been seen in a while. But um, no, um, but you, you worked with Mickey Rooney. That's fucking yeah. awesome. <laughs> That's last, crazy. He's, last he's a legend. Yeah. And not only that, but he was known for horse movies, you know, Black Stallion and mm -hmm. uh, um, the TV show Black Stallion and even National Velvet, uh, mm -hmm. one of them. Elizabeth Taylor's first movies. He was uh, nominated for an Academy Award for supporting actor in that. And uh, he'd been in a lot of horse movies. So this was uh, his last official horse themed movie. And, mm -hmm. you know, early days with Judy Garland, he was known for dancing and, and mm -hmm. big Busby Berkeley musicals and dancing. There's a scene in Lost Stallions where he actually dances a little jig and, at a square dance and uh, dances around with his wife. So it's also a last for, I mean, this is a guy who's, who spanned nine decades. He was yeah. working vaudeville stage, silent movies, silent movies as uh, Mickey McGuire, the adventures of Mickey McGuire, which was kind of a, a competitor to our game, the little rascals um, in the early days. And, uh, you know, from silent movies in the 1920s to, uh, all these famous horse movies and Busby Berkeley musicals with Judy Garland and dancing movies. And then I got to direct him in his last uh, major horse themed movie and dancing scene. <laughs> you know, yeah, that is so cool. Really cool. That yeah. is seriously, yeah. legitimately very cool, dude. Like, that yeah. Is so cool. Yeah. So after that, I, the biggest movie of my career, you know, and, and we're still talking small in terms of Hollywood productions, this is a fraction of the cost, but it is legit. It got distributed to uh, nationwide, to retail chains, and, and it was on streaming. Uh, uh, 
Netflix had it for about six months. Hulu had it for about a year. Um, Amazon Prime has it now, but that's just a private deal that the executive producer put up there. Um, so you can watch all of these movies on Amazon Prime, by the way. I don't make any money from them anymore at all, but <laughs> long well, story there. Cool. But yeah, but anyway, um, I got done shooting that in 2007 and I um, went back to my one bedroom apartment in Charlotte, North Carolina and was sitting there saying, oh, that was great. Now, how am I going to pay my rent this month? <laughs> yep. And, you know, it's, it's a tough business. It's kind of like real estate in a lot of ways, you know, as far as um, being self-employed and you never know when the money's going to come. It's it, it could be a lot at once or it could be a little at a time and you're always chasing the next deal mm -hmm. in real estate. You're always ch chasing your next project and in independent filmmaking mm -hmm. uh, and trying to your best to make sure the project is a profitable one, uh, not just hobby filmmaking for yeah. your friends and your festivals and, you know, little plastic gold statues. You know, I have no interest in making movies like that anymore. Um, so I took a big break. I was like, I've got to get a full-time job. I, I kind of stayed in the business, but, and a lot of people don't know this, but when you say you're in film video production, um, there's a huge difference in motion picture film, feature film production and web, web videos or, um, or television even, or, you know, corporate industrial videos. It's just a whole different world. It's like commercial real estate and residential or, um, investing, you know, investors and, or buying as your primary residence, you know, it's, it's or flips versus buy and holds. It, it's just different worlds in the same universe. There's that buzzword again. Um, for movie making, it's just like that. So I quit feature films and moved up here to Northern Virginia in 2007 and became the production manager for a uh, web media company that produced uh, how-to instructional videos, DIY. It was for a website called Monkey C. And um, they're still around, but not like they used to be. And, um, you know, they, they, uh, they produced instructional videos and they would get clients or companies or uh, any topic, automotive, like how to prepare your car for a road trip. Um, how to select a an au pair for your children, you know, uh, all kinds of things. Cooking now, videos. You're a production manager. What at that point are you doing for those videos? Are you like coordinating vendors and organizing stuff? What does that look like? Yeah, so we worked for a um, we. I had a small crew under me of video producers, kind of a do it all, you know, producer, direct, edit. A one-man band. So mm -hmm. I had about four. It fluctuated. When I first started, there were like four of us, and I was the manager. And I I did a lot of these myself. I was hands-on, but um, mm -hmm. I didn't just sit back and say, okay, go shoot that video. I did a lot of going out and shooting myself. But, um, yeah, there was about four or five of us, and mm -hmm. sometimes that would be as high as maybe as eight, and sometimes it would shrink again down to two. Um, but we would go out and shoot these videos. Most of them were here in the DC metro area and we would bring them back and edit them together and, and deliver them to the um, clients, um, put them up on our website, which also went to YouTube and um, did a lot of that. Um, 
when I had that job, I met Derek Campbell. He was one of the producers that worked there. And uh, he is now my um, co-partner, producing partner on um, Bloodspawn. Oh, cool. And, and so uh, that's where that friendship started and partnership started. So we, um, you know, made these for years and years. The business changed on that as well. And um, that was also right at 2008, of course, was the uh, recession and everything. So uh, we hung in there until 2015. The company got acquired and um, it was messy, a long detail, but, you know, these things happen. The companies just go through changes. They, they, they tried to change the real intent and reason of the company and the, the distribution and the marketing, just a lot of reasons. But anyway, they were acquired. And I think the company that bought us just didn't really know what to do with us. We were kind of spread out so far. Uh, the focus was on every topic, you know, right. and in the early days, that was good. And we were one of the very first uh, companies to do this was like, um, DIY.com and about.com have come along. But, you know, the problem is, and we didn't see this at first, is when you're focused on everything, there's less likely of a chance on the web, at least, that someone, if they want to know how to change the oil in their car, are they going to go to a strictly 100% automotive website? Or are they going to go to a site like us that has cooking, car maintenance, uh, parenting tips you yeah. know how to uh clean your house you know everything uh maintain mow your grass you know? no they they're going to go to the website that best represents whatever they're after mm -hmm. so so yeah. the company just kind of fizzled out and the company that bought us wanted to make primarily what they had made their money at before us cooking videos just cooking mm -hmm. videos but they still wanted to hang on to this. And so it, it was a mess, but anyway, they ended up shutting us down. And, um, Natalia, my wife had just, uh, gotten her real estate license a year before in 2014. And, uh, you know, she hadn't done very much. We were with, a, um, she started at Keller Williams and then she moved to a small brokerage in, in Reston. And, um, and we liked it there, but she liked it there, but, um, she was on a, uh, a small team there, um, but hadn't really done much, just kind of supporting the team leader and stuff. So I came home and she'd already said, David, you should get your license. You should get into real estate and, and help me. We can be a, a couple team and, and do stuff. And I said, yeah, that, that would be good. But, you know, I'm busy with this. And, and I was still all these time, years had passed by, eight years since I'd done the movie. Um, while stallions and given hung up the hat on that for a while i was always working on something there was a, a movie i never got off the ground called old soldiers i was going to bring back mickey and i had um, hugh o'brien attached to it he was uh, tv's first wyatt earp in the cool. adventures of wyatt earp back in the 50s and i i had um uh several other actors attached rance howard um anyway it was it was a buddy road trip movie about three World War II vets that got in their old motor home and had their grandson drive them to D.C. to visit the World War II memorial before they die. So it was a fun kind of a, a comedy a buddy road trip picture. I could never get it off the ground. I just I tried. I was trying too hard to keep the casting authentic. 
Mm -hmm. I wanted to cast real Hollywood actors that were also real World War II veterans. Mm -hmm. And lo and behold, they kept dying on me for some <laughs> reason. Being in their 90s, I guess, does that. <laughs> but, um, I had James Best, who was uh, Roscoe and the Dukes of Hazard attached after Mickey passed away. And uh, he's a great guy, by the way. But I, I had, you know, the, the positive on the takeaway of that movie that never got made. And there's still a chance in the future um, that we can make it, but it'll never be made the way I wanted to make it with real World War II veterans, of course. Right. But, but um, the positive is during this time when I was trying to get that movie off the ground, I, I got to meet these old Hollywood legends and television legends, and they're so cool talking to them. James Best yeah. was so awesome. I grew up watching the Dukes of Hazard mm -hmm. every week, and uh, you know he was just the most down to earth guy. He loved to play um, uh, online video games, <laughs> Call of Duty. He would go right. online and play with people worldwide, Call of Duty. Yeah. And he was a World War II vet. <laughs> so oh, that's crazy. And he was good at it. He would beat teenagers. Yeah, I'm he sure he's like, with me a couple times. I was a big cothead for really? years. Oh, yeah. man, all the time. But James Best would be, he used to love to tell the story about how he would tell people after. He was said, yeah, this is a lot easier than the real thing when I was in Germany in 1945 <laughs> at the end of the war. And or he would say, like, you guess what? You've just been playing with Roscoe P. Coltrane from the Dukes of Hazard. And they would type back like, yeah, right. And I'm Daisy Duke, you know, yeah. <laughs> stuff like that. But he was crazy. He That's got, fun. He That's got old. a big kick out of that. And he was yeah. the most tech savvy old guy I've ever known. Like he was he was on he would call me up on Skype, you know, and back then Skype was before, before FaceTime and everything and Zoom, but he would call me on Skype out of the blue. I'd get a, a Skype call, a video call from James Best, you know, yeah. <laughs> just really cool experience. That's but cool. sadly the movie never got made, but anyway, the company shut down and I came home and told Natalia, you know, um, oh, guess what? They're shutting us down. I'm going to be out of a job. And she actually smiled. She was like, yes, real estate, finally. So that was, that was, uh, I got, I had a two month head notice. They told us we were shutting down in August. I, uh, they actually, everything ended in October and I had already signed up for the, uh, the test and everything. And by the end of October, I had my license. Mm. So, uh, uh, so yeah, I, had no idea what we were going to do or make money, but, but I had my license, real estate license in October. So we both had our license mm -hmm. and we were still on this team uh, in Reston and, you know, learned a lot from that experience being yeah. new to real estate and everything. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it was uh, challenging, uh, you know, looking back, uh, we got a lot of the difficult cases. Like mm -hmm. I would never throw a new licensee some of the, Difficult. I, I was like helping with a a, uh, a bankruptcy uh, chapter eight bankruptcy client, yeah. which ended up being a really good repeat client for us. Uh, even after I moved over to Pearson Smith, she came back and I helped her uh, buy and sell a house. But uh, yeah, she. Uh, uh, but that was you know I only had my license for like two or three months, and I was mm -hmm. negotiating on her behalf with the credit card companies to uh, fix a screw up they had that was really hurting her 
wow. credit card record and, mm-hmm. and talking to her attorney, bankruptcy attorney, and, and doing stuff like that. So it was it was crazy. But um, you know, real estate had always been something that I, I started noticing it back when I was making movies. There there is a correlation. And, you know, a lot of the executive producers and producers I worked with on other projects, um, they were all in the real estate somehow, mm-hmm. either corporate real estate or developers. Um, this uh, one guy, he even owned a few strip motels at Myrtle Beach. So mm-hmm. they were investors and developers and uh, corporate uh, real estate, commercial real estate people. Um, uh, and yeah, it, there's always been this little thing. And I don't know why that is, if it's something to do with the the time or the time to play movies or the the way the nature of the business it is kind of similar there's a lot of similarities in the yeah. um, promotion it's a good yeah. place to put gobs of money if you suddenly find yourself with half a million dollars for a hundred thousand dollar movie or am I gonna put that 75 grand I'm yeah. buying a motel you know what I mean like yeah yeah there, there, there are, there's a lot of uh, connections there and um so you know I'd always been interested in in um investing too like flips or, or buy and holds and uh we did a flip in 2017 i haven't done one since then but uh, richard helped me hold on to our old house as a buy and hold so that's going on right now but um but uh it's it's the process of a flip for example is very similar to producing a movie it takes yes. several months sometimes they stretch out longer than you want them to but you know you have to organize and do your prep work like pre-production on a movie and yeah there's the actual physical production of a movie and the physical renovations process uh period of of, of flipping a house and, and budgeting then, budgeting yeah, ahead of time budgeting. and a lot of oh, yeah I mean, oh i'm going into this house i hope i don't pull a wall down and there's a bigger issue and you got like yeah. reshoots and how like well, I'm a on a movie so yeah. build into this yeah. you the know financing the financing yeah. is so similar you know are you going to go with a hard money loan or are you private investors to do your flips and which is private investors for making your movie so and then finally the marketing and um how you want to market it um uh, uh, putting it out there or shopping it around festivals if it's a movie or uh you know there's just a number of similarities there so it's not that far of a stretch and there's a lot of people i know a lot of uh also from north carolina a lot of retired filmmakers that made movies back in the 70s that are now real estate people and investors and everything so uh, a lot of similarities there it's really interesting but yeah so um so what brought you back to Bloodspawn? Yeah, so uh, probably about three years ago now, maybe even four. Um, my friend Derek from the old media company in Reston, and um, actually the office was in Great Falls, but Reston's where I live, real close by. Um, we started talking and we started watching, you know, these Sci-Fi Channel movies, and um, Sharknado started. You know, they've made like what eight movies now, but the the company that makes Sharknado is called The Asylum. And they're a small studio um, out in LA that uh, the two founders, both of them are named David too. Um, they uh, they used to be um, sales agents for artsy art house films and independent, truly independent films and where they would, um, you know, only playing in a few art house theaters across the country or the, 
international market. And they just discovered it was so hard to sell these movies. And they said, let's just make some money. So they, they went all in with making ripoff movies and monster movies. And they did like, you know, Piranosaurus versus uh, Sharkosaurus Rex or whatever, you know. And, and now they're, they're making, you know, 50 movies a year. And that's all they do. And because they were so smart and they used to be in the sales sales side of movies, they know how to get it done. And they're just like a well-oiled machine and they crank it out. And the other movies are cheesy and, and crazy. And I don't want to go that far with the content, but their business model is just amazing. And yes. really, they've never lost money on their movies. They make them for cheap. Um, uh, not even not as cheap as we made ours because this is our first, but mm -hmm. cheap enough in LA dollars, you know, to still make a huge profit. They always get B B list actors or old fading star television actors from back mm -hmm. in the '80s or '90s, or or seniors. They had Tiffany in some movies, and uh, so yeah, they they uh, they got Steve Urkel. What's his name? Real White. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah they, he was in some movies too for them, but um, Eric Roberts is in every movie. It seems oh, yeah. like, but um, yeah. So they have a they have a model and they have yeah. a assembly line. That's the way they do it, and they're very profitable. So yeah, the red box uh, movies is what we used to call them back in the day. Because the yeah. ones with red box, we like it's, it's easily worth a dollar twenty five. I'm gonna go yeah, spend exactly, like this. exactly. Yeah. So uh, with my background and the you know now it's been. It's been 15 years since I produced a movie. Uh, and so it was time, you know, 14, 15 years. Um, Derek and I just kept seeing these movies and we we're like, ah, we could do this. We could, no, yeah. we could do this. We could really do this. And so we we're like, let's do it. And we wrote a script and we strategically chose the genre because these, this, these movies, especially creature features, mm -hmm. they have a fan base worldwide. Yep. It's not, uh, dependent on language is not dependent on, um, you know, uh, anything like that. Any, any language, uh, around the world, anyone from any country can watch a monster movie and get it and, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and have a good time, you know, and, and, you know, we, we wrote it strategically with that in mind. Um, and then we wanted to get some name actors, but of course our budget was going to be super small um in in terms of professional budgets but we we did make the decision to go sag uh union make it a union production for the actors at least mm -hmm. and uh bring on some people so we brought on bill oberst jr who a lot of people don't know who he is but he's he's got such a niche following like a huge cult following he uh is an independent um horror icon he's a He's been in Asylum movies made by the Asylum Company. He was, they did, you know, Abraham Lincoln versus Vampires came out. Yeah. They did yeah. Abraham Lincoln versus Zombies. Of and course. he played Abraham Lincoln. So, and that was one of their uh, best-selling movies. So, before Sharknado um, came along. So, he was in that. He's been in several others. Uh, he was in Rob Zombie's Three from Hell. He was in, um, you know, a lot of the stuff that... Um, unless you're into those kind of movies, you wouldn't know him. But he, if you just type in Bill Oberst Jr. on Amazon mm -hmm. Prime, you'll There's see a lot of movies. Yeah. 20, 20 movies. Right. Yeah, easy. So we got him signed on. He's great. He's a great guy too. 
my friend Keith, who had been in a lot of my movies, the Pirate Kids movies, playing the dad, he had a role in Lost Stallions um, with Mickey Rooney. He is a growing star. He just had a recurring role um, a few years back on The Walking Dead as Dr. Harlan Carson, the doctor. He was in like six six or seven episodes re recurring role. He got killed, not by a zombie, but by someone shooting him in the head. But um, anyway, he, he was on that. Um, he played Robert Redford's son, and he really does kind of look like a young He does look like Robert Redford. He does. Yeah. He played Robert Redford's son in uh, A Walk in the Woods, um, based on the novel about walking the Appalachian Trail, the old guys, and, uh, with Nick Nolte. Um, he played with Amy Adams in one of her hit films, uh, our earliest films, her breakthrough film, Junebug, an independent film. Uh, he worked with uh, Burt Reynolds on one of his last movies, played his son. Um, and then... Uh, yeah, so he's so, really good looking guys, which is he's playing Burt Reynolds and Robert Redford's son. This guy must be striking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's <laughs> good looking dude. He does yeah. All right. yeah, so uh, we got him back. Uh, it was good to work with him again. He's been in a lot of my movies. And then Roger Willie, uh, the Navajo actor who was a um, major supporting role in Wind Talkers with Nicolas Cage and uh, um, he and Christian Slater and Adaptation with Nicolas Cage. Um, mm -hmm. He was in Lost Stallion, so I brought him back. He's a great guy. And, um, yeah, so uh, we we had them involved um, and, and uh, just did the budget, tried to keep it very, very low, but the most we can. And our goal was just to make something as good as the Sharknado sci-fi channel movies. So we had always planned all along just to do the – cheesy CGI. It wasn't going to be special. It was going to be, you know, honestly, like video game quality CGI. Mm -hmm. But then, like I said, at the beginning, we, we started shooting it and uh, everything went well and um, got into it. Um, and oh, yeah, we brought on Raw Liba. He's he's a growing name as well. He's been in the remakes of like uh, um, Conan remake that they did. And uh, um, he's been in a lot of action films and stuff like that but uh uh he he's a really he's a st professional stunt guy and he's okay. just he won an award for like the most fit human by one of these fitness magazines he's just really jacked yeah but uh he is actually um part um native american as well and mm -hmm. so we we put him in the in the kind of the lead role um as uh the cherokee warrior um but yeah, he, he did a great job as well. But, you know, we had these, these um, better than average, um, you know, really good talent that more than you would ever expect for a movie of our small budget. You, you, want, like, you want like working that guys, right? You watch something, you're like, it's that guy. It's that guy. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's always yeah. full of that guy. Every role yeah. is like, hey, was, yeah. he was a store clerk in that other thing that I saw. Yep. It's great. You know yep. what I mean? It's like. And, and not only that, but a lot of these guys are specific to, um, you know, horror, uh, monster, feature, feature, yeah. the genre, which is right. good for sales. Yeah, like Bruce and, Campbell to mention the Rainies. Like, if you know who yep. he is, you see him on a movie Bruce cover Campbell, from the hotel, yeah. I'm going to watch it on a Thursday night. Yeah, like, it's, yeah. it's it's watchable. You expect to see him in it. Exactly. So, that crowd. That's, that's, uh, that's solid. Well, how far along are you in the production? You mentioned, I think, earlier you're cutting the trailer. Is that right? We are. 
So we decided to take it in that direction, take it a little bit higher up quality. And um, it, it's uh, we're working on the trailer right now. Um, still a lot to do, but the film is edited. The whole thing, uh, the rough cut is done. Wow. And now it's just the final touches, which is, you know, adding in those monsters, uh, monster uh, puppets and miniatures that we shot last month in April and uh, doing all the compositing on that. That's not super easy. And um, adding, doing the color correction, the sound editing, music, and then we're done. And so uh, one of our executive producers, who's uh, an old friend of mine, he is actively helping me to get a head start and you know forecast on the marketing side of things. So we've already got uh, distributors list. We do have distributors interested. One of them even signed a letter of interest before while we were raising the money. We used that letter to kind of help us raise the money. And uh, they're, they're still very interested. And we're excited because it's it's grown to be a bigger deal than we had ever imagined, you know? So yeah. Well, what's um, interesting is that hearing everything that you've kind of said, it goes back to the beginning right. of the story. <laughs> is this this how industrious you were as a kid? Yeah, <laughs> has carried forward to today. It's so evident by like it, just like knowing a little bit of the behind the scenes. What you guys were able to do on the budget that you did it with is yeah, yeah. Like you could have easily been triple, quadruple your budget and made the same movie. Like it's yeah, it's, it's it, wild. It, it is, and it's similar to real estate. And something you've taught me, Richard, is like time or money. What do you want to spend? And in our case, we don't have much money, but Derek and I both, Derek, by the way, he's the visual effects director. I, I, I don't know anything about the visual effects stuff. This is the first movie that's had this many effects that I've ever done. So he's handling that and he has to work around his day job. He's still yeah. in the video production uh, business for government contracts and stuff. Yeah. So he, you know, it's a balance of time. It's taking us longer than we would like, yeah. but those costs are like, non-existent when it's yep. just our small sure. crew and Craig, our assistant producer is helping as well. And he's the composer of the music. So, um, you know, we've got a very small crew, uh, and my friend, the executive producer who's helping us out too, Boyd, he's uh, great, you know, on the, on the forecasting and the marketing side of things and prepping for when we're going to send it out to distributors. Um, you know, our, our four, Four man band, basically. It, it's uh, we could have added a lot. Maybe we would have. I don't know. It's hard to say. Maybe we could have had it done a little sooner, a little sooner, if we had have farmed it out. But then it would have been a much higher budget. Sure. And then there's no guarantee it would take any less time because when you're farming out to a third party, you've got to bring them up to speed, explain yep. to them your vision and, <laughs> you know, the educating part of it, just like training any new employee or someone, you know, an independent contractor, it takes so long to get them up to speed and it does. share with them exactly what you want that, you know, so yeah, I think we're in a good place. We've got a good product. Uh, we're close. We're very, very close. And, uh, my personal goal, I really want us to have it done before we hit the one year mark of, of physical production, which is we started September. Uh, I think we started September 11th. A strange, sad anniversary to start a movie. But but yeah, um, September 11th is when we started production. So my goal is to have it 
completely done sometime this summer and it would be awesome if we had it um under uh you know a licensed agreement to a distributor before the one-year mark yeah. so i love I think it we can do it i think you guys can too real quick because we're out of time but okay. tell us what is next for you after blood spawn mm -hmm. yeah well you know i've been kind of honest with you richard and and others that uh i have no desire to um i always want to be in real estate right mm -hmm. but i have no desire to to grow into a top producer and do that 100%. I really do want, and you know this is one of my major yep. goals, to start a mini studio. And um, not necessarily all monster movies, you know, but different genres, all lower budget, um, bigger than Bloodspawn, mind you. But uh, yeah, we want to churn out two to three movies a year, mm -hmm. mostly straight to streaming type stuff, but maybe different genres like children's movies or uh, Hallmark holiday movies that you, that are popular or uh, lifetime thrillers, that type of stuff that you mm -hmm. would see on streaming services like Hulu or Amazon Prime or uh, Netflix. So that's the next step. Uh, yeah. Of course, a lot is dependent on the success of Bloodspawn, but I think I, I'm very optimistic. Well, don't worry about that. I'm going to be your right man. Yeah. <laughs> I know who's going to know about it. They're going to have to watch it. I'm going to be yeah. like, what was the minute in our mark when I got murdered? And <laughs> yeah, right. We don't know. We can't be friends. Like It's, yeah. it's going to happen. Yeah. We're gonna see this is the podcast where like 10 years from now when you've started, you know, I don't know, whatever your movie company, what is your production company called actually? Well, that's a, we started an LLC just for this one movie. Gotcha. We haven't yet decided what our parent company, the studio is going to be called. So, um, so to be determined studios, we're going to cite back yeah. in a yep. future episode of this podcast and be like, go, we're going to replay it and be like, Hey, this is the guy. This is that guy. He he made made it and, and, and I'm going to be a big name actor in all these movies. That's right. It would be That's excellent. Right. I'm super pumped about You're it. You're going to be the next Dick Miller. You know who Dick Miller is? No clue who it is, but I already have the name, Rich Bridges. So we'll go, we'll go Dick. We'll go Dick Bridges. That'll be the, the next. You guys remember that name. That's going to be my, that's going to be my acting name. Actually, you need to amend the credits now. It needs to be Dick Bridges. Okay. I can do that. So David. Thank you so much for being on with us today. If somebody wanted to reach out and connect with you, whether on the filming or real estate, what's the best way they can get in touch with you? Email. Um, you know, if they want to check out the website, I, I think it's, uh, we just did renovations on it. I think it's up, but it's bloodspawnmovie.com. Bloodspawnmovie.com. As far as uh, real estate, yeah. I mean, other agents reach out to me. I've got a Pearson Smith email address like everyone else. And then, uh, yeah, that's the best way to reach me. Awesome. So David Rotan, D-A-V-I-D dot Rotan, R-O-T-A-N at PearsonSmithRealty.com. Definitely check out the website. I'm sure there's links to the Facebook and other social media pages so you can follow along. The actual yeah. or the theater uh, promo will be out soon. And we are super excited to see the finished project before September. David, thank you for being our guest today. This was so super great to hear about Love you and get to meet you, man. Yeah. God, I've heard so much about you. This was a real pleasure as, as our audience will hear like Richard and I silent for like a full 30 minutes while we I'm heard. sorry. I you know, know. No, was, no, 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 no. That's, that's a good, that's a good storyteller <laughs> when you're just engaged listening. I love yeah. it. That was perfect. You I get me started, started, man. You got to halfway through. Yeah. I was like, this guy does know how to write a movie. He is telling me the story and I am engaged. <laughs> and I got nothing to say. I just want to hear more. So yeah. thank you. It was thank you, David. We appreciate it. We definitely have you back. We'll talk to you soon, man. Take care. Thank you. Bye-bye. God, what a cool guy.
what a cool, cool thing. Like I love, I love that story. There was a lot I didn't know, a lot I learned, and I'm just excited for what he does next. Guys, you're gonna really enjoy the movie. I was really blown away. I truly was at just the experience, how professional it was, how hard these folks worked. So uh, I think it's going to be a fun movie. I really think it'll be worth taking a peek and, and looking at it. So super excited. Thank you guys for tuning in and watching again. Again, I'm Br Richard Bridges with Bridges Business Solutions. We do entrepreneurial coaching. Small businesses are specialty, specifically real estate agents. If you need more information, we'll obviously include that in our, uh, in our uh, show notes. And Peyton. Yeah, I am Peyton Polychromes with Milestone Virtual Services, uh, providing for all your virtual assistant needs. I'm also the guy who in a few short months will be taking his cell phone, on, uh, recording his laptop, and posting Richard's horrible, grisly death on YouTube as soon as possible. Yeah. So uh, it has been him. It has been me. It has been us. Thank you so, so much. We'll see you we'll next see time. See you guys later. Pew, 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 p